Tea Breakers, and welcome to the 39th episode of Project Studio Tea Break. I am Mike Senior, and I am here with jobbing fungus to the stars, John Whitten. <laughs> <laughs> I'll take that quite happily. That is me. Hello, everyone. I'm John. Mike, I've got to know, this month, have you earned your tea break? You know what? I haven't given it any thought at all whether I have, <laughs> which probably means I have. I was going to say, if you haven't had the time to mull over that, I, I'm going to assume that it's the case. Yeah, yeah. And yourself? Oh, I should say so. You haven't been letting the mould grow under your feet? <laughs> not even slightly. I have not spored. <laughs> I have no mycelium. I know about six mushroom words. That's kind of my limit. <laughs> um, no, I, I've had to work this month as a video editor, learning how on earth that works. Have you ever done any video stuff? Well, yeah, I have to do it regularly for my uh, patrons. Of course you do, for your video content. Oh, but you see, I have the advantage of working on a piece of video software that says copyright 2013. My goodness me. So, <laughs> so you just put one reel of film in? <laughs> it's almost like that, yeah. It's like you can hear it going tick, 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 while you're editing. Well, really? <laughs> yeah. I assume it only has one transition between clips, which is the star wipe. That's an expanding <laughs> yeah, star yeah. in the centre. Yeah. Yeah, that one. Yeah, yeah. What do you edit on? <laughs> Sony Vegas. Oh, my word. It's so old that it's actually stopped loading some of the video formats I'm using. <laughs> so I have to convert them before I put it in there. <laughs> there must be an easier way, but not in the short term. And that is how my entire workflow is based. It requires upgrading my computer, you see, because I'm on still on Windows 7 on my studio PC. Ah, and that would involve connecting your computer to the internet or possibly and and other absolute blasphemies against <laughs> studio law right so so you're stuck there with it see i'm working on imovie mm. which is a brilliant bit of software for putting together a few like mobile phone videos into a fun holiday summary kind of us in the canary islands or whatever or say like a world conquering trailer <laughs> i will say just for example <laughs> a world conquering trailer it has you know it's a bit of mac software it's got four things mm. that it's really good at and it's really keen for you to do yes if you try to not do those things, oh, it gets... I was going to say, have all your music videos turned out like wedding videos? <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I genuinely considered going the way of Wolfbeck because right. their genius is just kind of embracing the, the naffness of what they had to hand yeah. and just letting the music shine through. I thought about just using one of their wedding video templates and <laughs> sticking my music behind it. Okay, this might be a little in the weeds, but bear with me here. Mm. One of the videos, which I, I'm excited to announce soon on here, but not quite yet, um, is a lip sync, basically. It's a few different people mouthing words. Mm. Probably didn't need to define that term. We're all tech specialists here. There you go. <laughs> professional part. If you didn't know what that means, then oof. wait until we start talking about the... Uh, sound waves <laughs> um, so you pop down the music and you line up the mouths on top yeah seems reasonable i felt yeah then you notice oh the second little clip of lip syncing it's a little bit early it's fine it's forgivable i did it while i was late so i'll just <laughs> shift that and iMovie thinks oh sure we'll shift the entire movie 0.2 of a seconds that way mm. and i say oh no thank you just this clip and it says D you don't even it's no bother <laughs> we've moved the entire track yeah and so now everything else is out of time. And I thought, you know what, silly John, here's me not being able to figure out how to do this. It must be able to do that. Surely, you said, surely. So I Googled, I, and I Googled, and I, I didn't even have to go very deep because the top result was someone basically saying, abandon hope, all ye who enter here. I know it feels like surely there, there isn't. There just isn't. Yeah. They said the only way to do it is to just take the video that you've got, drag it into a DAW like Reaper, which actually has quite nice 
nice video editing capabilities. Mm. So that was its suggestion. Yeah. Was that you'd get better video editing capabilities out of Reaper <laughs> than you would out of iMovie. <laughs> I didn't have access to anything oh, else when I was working on a deadline. So eventually I did just move the entire rest of the track. 0.2 seconds. Although, of course, it, you know, it's so usable and slick, it doesn't even tell you it's 0.2 seconds. Mm. There's no way of knowing mm. exactly how much mm. you've moved it by. No. There's no kind of grid. There's no double click to see exact parameters. It's just so friendly and approachable. You won't need to do that. <laughs> <laughs> Let's not get bogged down in the details. Just give us three pictures of your dog and we'll make it into a James Bond film. Yeah. And some will say that, I, you know, I, I tried to use a tennis racket to bake a pizza. And, and fair. <laughs> but, but that's not how it's marketed. It's, uh, no, anyway. no, no. I mean, this is the thing. So how else have you been earning your tea break then? Well, that's not enough. <laughs> Heavens to Betsy. Oh, no. I think the reason I feel quite so deserving at this, at this very moment is yes. I've just enjoyed a weekend with my lovely niece and nephew, who are very small and very energetic. Yes. And I'm an old man, <laughs> and I never know it more than when playing with a, with a two and a five-year-old. Yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> and there, there was no limit to the games, and I'm still alive. I'm still here, and I'm recording a podcast. So that, to me, on its own... That's an achievement. ...qualifies me for, for some sort of teed break. Oh, well, I think so. To go with the jam stains. <laughs> to go with the jam stain on my pullover. We've had feedback from <laughs> patron Jay as well, mm -hmm. who harked back to one of our earlier episodes where we were talking about how keyboard players could like show off as much as guitarists on stage. I recall it well. Have you ever seen a video of Rick Wakeman and his revolving piano? It's so hard for me to not Google things while we <laughs> record this, Mike. You drop these amazing bombs, and I'm just meant to sit here in front of a computer. I would not have believed it possible. But basically, he used to go out live had a piano he sat at and then the piano lifted into the air <gasps> and somersaulted no. while he was sitting on it playing it. He had to be in a kind of a harness. Oh my word. Weird, weird stuff. But I mean, that has got to be the ultimate flex I've seen. I mean, that beats the old pole dancing yeah, pole. Yeah, pole dancing piano. I mean, that's what I thought you meant at first when you said revolving piano, but oh no, whole new axis they've chucked in. Whole new axis in midair. That's incredible. Oh, I want to see that so badly. Okay, going to start my list. <laughs> going to start my Google list. Straight away. I'm glad I've kicked it off early. Now, you have also been busy, I understand, emailing a certain uh, Professor Bueller. I did. I did. Well, and I'm afraid I will get out in front of this. We have not heard back yet. I emailed his department for his attention of. Mm -hmm. And I think, I th I mean, anyone who listened mm -hmm. last month will recall that I was being as diplomatic as possible while certain other hosts <laughs> were maybe I was just trying to give the benefit of the doubt and you were trying to give a boot. Um, I think you, you were much more successful. So I, I clipped out that bit of audio, didn't even link it. Mm. I, um, I downloaded it and I, you know, I just sent him an MP3 mm -hmm. and said that I, and I think deep down, both of us wanted to be wrong. Yeah. And that this was fascinating, integrity-full research that leads to stuff as fascinating as he feels it is. Yes. And an invitation to, you know, by writing or ideally, you know, jump on Skype with us and, and record something. Mm. Tell us why we're wrong to think that you're a charlatan and a fraud. <laughs> I didn't add that last bit. Oh, wait, wait, wait. We have breaking news. Oh, I've oh, seen just coming in. We have, it's here on my email. Let me just have a look. We have um, a statement here from his press spokesperson. <laughs> my goodness me. Mr. Tom Bullweed. <laughs> <laughs> saying, I'm, I'm so glad that's come through right now. <laughs> saying, <laughs> I think I hear a pair of saloon doors flapping in the distance. <laughs>
summer is here. Oh. The world is in bloom. Oh, it is. And the sounds of nature are all around us. They've been inspiring artists and musicians for generations. And as it happens, they've also been inspiring the old scientist, too. Oh, come on, come on. Let me enjoy this pastoral idyll that you could, Just for a minute, but I know you're going to tear it to pieces. But let me just reflect on the fact that it is sunny. That is lovely. The pubs are open. Yes. Oh, yes. That, was, that one was felt. Now, go on. Go on. Well, it just so happens that the sounds of nature have been an inspiration to scientists, too. And specifically in the news this week, we have a research team at the University of California, San Diego, Mm -hmm. who have been studying four adult male zebra finches. And I hope they've noted things about their feather length and maybe their weight. (laughs) I'm sure we can learn a lot about their weight. I mean, sometimes it's necessary for animals to be sacrificed for important medical research. Maybe they've they've learned about their (laughs) digestive tracts and then not made music out of any of it. Is that kind of close? Well, they have been researching them to see whether they can extract and resynthesize the birds' songs from their brainwaves. Oh, no, that's cool. Like, that's cool. <laughs> now, you see, zebra finches, they are often studied because of their complex songs. Mm-hmm. They're individualized and they're bursts of motifs that are like three to ten syllables long. Okay. They have this vocabulary of sounds and they're quite complex. So this isn't just like a chip, 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 chip kind of sound. Now, these are proper syllabic things. Wait a minute, wait a minute. If you're going to do an impression of what they don't sound like, I think our listeners deserve the Mike Senior impression of what they... I mean, come on. Tweet? <laughs> no, you said it was complex and multisyllabic. Come on. Give, give us a bit of zebra finch jam. Oh, well, we'll get to that. Okay. But I'm, I'm not finishing this segment until you've done one. <laughs> um, so, the researchers... They created a digital model Hmm. of a zebra finch vocal tract. Okay. Then they used the bird's neural activities, as measured in the brain's premotor nucleus area, Hmm. to drive this synth engine that they generated, this physically modeled synth. Yes. Via, and for once it's not a dirty word, Via neural networks. It was a neural ne- I'm so glad that was a neural network. I was just thinking this sounds like a great use case for a neural network. Oh. Which they trained by comparing the brainwave readings and the real song with spectrograms of the songs oh. and the results that came out. It kind of had a feedback loop in it somewhere. Thrilling. It's all very, very complicated and neural networky. Thrilling and good and perfect. And I got lost in the maths after about three lines. <laughs> and here are the results. And in each audio example, you get the real song followed by the synthesized version, and then it repeats that comparison. And there's one set for each of the four birds. Great, I'm with you. Let's go. That's very good. That's better than I could do. Yes. On a synth as an impression of a zebra finch. Number two, here we go. Okay, I'll point out that zebra finches sound like kind of an early 2000s scratch DJ. Uh, There's some real vinyl wicking here. But again, brilliant facsimile. Okay, now on to number three. Three's a banger. And here's the final one. (laughs) 
the cadence is there, the pitch contours. And just to hammer this home, if I've understood you correctly, yeah. the machine that made the synthesized sound, yeah, that whole system, yeah. that never heard the sound that Bird was making. That only received the neural imaging data. Is that right? Yes. It had been trained with the real sounds. Yes. But then the version you heard was generated directly from the bird's brainwaves through this trained neural network. That's so Cool! If you think of the ramifications of it... I know! I mean, this is enormous. You know, they've been able to do, like, brain-machine interface stuff for prosthetic limbs with primates, mm -hmm. so that people can move their prosthetic hand by the brain-machine interface. Yeah. But they've never been able to do speech prosthetics that way, because they don't vocalise in the same way that we do. Mm -hmm. But, with songbirds... Actually, their vocalizations are quite similar to ours. Oh, really? They use the same what's called a myoelastic aerodynamic sound production system. They have similar brain physiology that convergently involved in us and in birds, but it's very similar. Okay. They learn their songs early in life by imitating adults, but then as they go along, they become less derivative and get their own individuality as they go along, as they mature. Mm -hmm. They find their voice. You know, they, they learn to improvise as they go along. <laughs> yeah, they find the groove. And then they find it less easy to learn new songs later in life. That's amazing. None of this modern rubbish. <laughs> okay, so they're basically human. Yes. They're your average music blogger. But what they've done then, these scientists, is they have proved the concept of speech synthesis through brainwaves. Thank you so much, scientists. This I look, there's 10 cool artistic things I'd love to try with this. There's there's 10 albums I would like to make. Yeah. And, and you know, those will benefit the world hugely because mm. what world doesn't benefit from John's avant-garde music ideas? But, well. but so much more and more directly than that, as you say, people who are unable to speak for whatever reason, temporarily, permanently, the idea that they may just be able to think things and it will come out as words, much as you or I do. They could make a podcast! <laughs> 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 For heaven's sakes! <laughs> Won't somebody think of the podcast? Wouldn't even need microphones. Except at the present scale of technology, it would sound like R2-D2's internal monologue, to be fair. <laughs> <laughs> this is fair. But, I mean, if you you can extrapolate further, though, if you think about it. Imagining pitch and duration and all these musical parameters, mm. if you can extract those musical parameters from the brain itself, mm. you can map those onto MIDI controllers. You can have mentally controlled MIDI synths. Oh, my goodness. And all of the tech is kind of already there. I know. That's very powerful. Now, there must be some kind of, like, stickers-on-the-head MIDI controller. Well, there's something where you can put electrodes on your tummy, and it, and it, if you've got an unborn child, it can detect MIDI. Yeah, then, then it'll compose an album for you. I've heard about that. It'll sonificate. Oh, my word. We've learned to distrust the word sonification. <laughs> Thank you so much for this good news. Did you hear how distrustful I was at the beginning of this? Yeah. I, I, I was like a <laughs> lamb going to... No, I was like a grumpy goat going to a slaughterhouse, but it turned into a surprise party. This metaphor is getting away from me but you see i'm toying with you I'm, there you go <laughs> i'm playing your emotions like a violin <laughs> well it may not all be good though okay well think about it if you can read your brainwaves and transfer them onto a synth isn't there the capability for someone unscrupulously to steal your song before you have time to write it down <laughs> <laughs> well no okay here's what i'm thinking yeah we're into reading minds territory oh yeah or at least being able to put a speaker on someone's internal monologue. Mm. That, to me, is scary. Yeah, I mean, it is the beginning of thought crimes becoming <laughs> <laughs> prosecutable, isn't it? You know, it's not the criminal stuff. Maybe it's just musical thought crimes. Well, there we go. It's like Chris Stapleton. It's like someone with impeccable, um, like, street cred 
then you'd catch him thinking about a new Teletubbies theme tune. <laughs> and it would, it would undermine his reputation. I honestly... Chris Thiele doing a new version of Friday. <laughs> oh, oh ooh, no, no, I desperately don't want that to happen. I toyed with it a moment. I've walked out of a shop with a pint of milk by accident before. Um, mm. I, I'm sure I've crossed the road before the man turned green. Mm. I am not legally spotless, but if I had the choice of having all that made public record or all my first drafts of music or kind of just yes. stuff I started on a synth late at night <laughs> thought this is something and then listen to the next morning and consign to the dump yes. I would much rather have my real crimes known than my musical ones <laughs> oh my musical word first draft no question I, I have, <laughs> I've made some musical crimes in my time yeah that I'm not proud of and would work hard to keep underground I mean might it be difficult if I'm going back to this idea of controlling synths mentally mm. I mean imagine you were just distracted or you got like an earworm before you went on stage and you couldn't stop your synth playing the chicken song <laughs> it would be baby shark every single time wouldn't it wouldn't it it didn't matter where you'd go but it'd be okay in trance or something wouldn't it if the synth went yeah there's a lot you can do with that as as the YouTube covers showed us yeah it's kind of like that talk box where you can make your guitar talk you can just make your entire setup do your stream of consciousness suddenly everyone's Kanye West yeah this is one of those studies where you start off thinking someone's just been inserting probes into zebra finches and doing weird spectrographic things. And then you realise what the test of concept means and you go, we now have brainwave music. I think the way it must have happened is that, you know, someone was just doing their bit. They had this spectrographic equipment and they had some zebra finches. So they were like, well, mm. time to get making records. And then one night in a bar, they met someone who was way too into modular synthesis. <laughs> You know, someone with, like, their spare patch cables in their cargo pants. <laughs> so the scientist and this basement-dwelling nerd, speaking as one, I'm allowed to say that, mm. somehow hit it off yeah. and go to the lab that night, very late, and then before you know it, yeah. there's a grant proposal in the works. There were some nice details as well. And my favourite little detail of it was that the audio was recorded with an Earthworks M30 microphone, very nice microphone. I'm not familiar. What would that normally be used for? Earthworks do lots of measurement microphones, often omni-microphones, small diaphragm things. Okay. But they recorded it through an Arch Tube MP, which is like this bargain basement preamp with a valve in it. I love <laughs> that this was done with a valve. That's hilarious. And even better, you heard how one of those, I think you mentioned that one of those ones sounded a bit like a DJ scratching. Yeah, absolutely. One of those recordings has masses of hum on it. Yes. For a bunch of scientists doing in-depth audio work, you know? they could have captured something without it being covered in hum. But you know what that means though, right? Assuming they use the same setup throughout, mm. this neural network was not just trained to recreate zebra finch songs from brainwaves. It's been trained to create warm, vibey, <laughs> retro, analog zebra finch songs from brainwaves. Yes. Improved. Yes. Anyone would say mixed and mastered zebra finch brainwaves. Mm. Amazing. Okay, I'm getting them on the show. It's a mission. What, the birds? <laughs> yes, and... and Four-part harmony. As I, as I feel like we're kind of maybe approaching the final act of this, makes me think, well, what would that sound like if they came on the podcast? And, and, and Mike, what do you, what do you reckon <laughs> that sonic experience would be? I don't forget, Mike. <laughs> I can't do it at all, can I? I, th I think I need not to be smiling. It's like, no! No, I can't do it. <laughs> <laughs> it's sort of a happy Star Wars alien. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Anyhow, totally. thank you so much for bringing this to my attention. Some joy from the scientific community. This is freaking awesome and gives me hope for science, which I didn't <laughs> know I would lose in making a music podcast. <laughs> 
It has been said that to err is human, but to really f*** up, you need Mike Senior. And <laughs> Mike's here today. <laughs> I, with, with what he's promised, is a real stonker. And I, I think we're going to feel the truth of that idiom. Mm, that idiot. <laughs> the, the, the feel of that idiot, which is actually his, his memoir title. Um, soon available on Random House. Mike, I'm going to say no more. I am, I'm so excited. What you got for me? As I mentioned in... I think the previous episode or the one before, I have now been writing mixed review critiques for more than a decade now. These uh, critiques of commercial productions I do. Mm. And I've got into this very comfy rhythm of doing it. Because mm, mm. I do these things, even though they come out every week, I do them still in monthly batches because that's how I originally did them when I did them for the magazine. Yeah. And so it usually begins, you know, the end of the month is passed and I've, all the deadlines have passed the end of the month and then I kind of slump into a chair some early day in the month with a cup of tea mm-hmm. in my dressing gown <laughs> and <laughs> just begin idly trawling through the various charts and awards listings to find tracks that I think people are likely to actually care about. Okay. And of course, a lot of these I haven't heard, but, you know, because I'm, I'm not listening to the charts every day all the time. Mm. As much as you might be surprised to hear that I'm, my finger is not on the pulse. As your backwards baseball cap and fidget spinner might have us believing otherwise. Yes. Yeah. And my baggy clothing. <laughs> you do actually have some very gothy jeans. That's true. Didn't expect to bring this up today. <laughs> They're very cool. Very gothy. Very chainy. Anyway, so, yeah, I'm trawling through all these charts and things. Mm. And then I search iTunes for the tracks that I think are interesting. I have a quick listen and then download anything that I think is worth doing. You know, either okay. whether it's something I think I can write about or whether it's something that, you know, it's been so successful I can't not write about it. Mm-hmm. And then usually two or three days later, I then have all these files that I've downloaded from iTunes and I take them downstairs to my studio, load them into my DOW, start listening through... And decide which ones I'm actually going to write about. I've got to ask, just because I'm, I'm really curious. Yeah. You say you chuck them into a DAW. Yes. Is part of your listening some sort of spectral analysis? Are, are you kind of doing high passes to get a better listen to something or other? Are you looking at the waveform? Or is it just easier to listen to them on your nice speakers this way? Basically, I use any tools I have available to me to analyse them. I mean, I look at the waveforms. I'll listen to the side signal. I'll mm. compare the left and right channels. I'll look at a spectrograph or, or a vectorscope. I use anything I can. This is actually a separate thing I'd like from you at some point, which is just what is the craziest nonsense you've ever found in a side signal? Uh, I think I found that on a Labyrinth album, they'd encoded an MP3. Oh, no. On the CD. Right, because there was just, it was all kind of MP3 on the edges. Well, the thing is, with MP3, mm. it's often done in mid-side format. Mm. Anytime there's something loud going on in the middle, because it's psychologically masking what's going on at the side, they let the sides get lower resolution <laughs> so you get fewer bits in other words and because they get lower resolution it gets all crunchy and distorted and, and like bit crunchy interesting so if you listen just to the side signal where of course you're not hearing that masking mm. whenever something loud comes along in the mid signal like the, the vocal or whatever you hear this side signal getting crunchy I want to know more about mp3 encoding right the deeper I go in the more fascinating it is the amount of things they take out without knocking down the Jenga tower yes it's incredible actually the way they managed to throw out four-fifths of the data or more incredible and that it still sounds even slightly like it does shows how much psychological stuff is going on when you listen to stuff yeah you you average it so much as a listener I'm, I'm gonna go ahead and say that like unless I'm really listening for it on some nice speakers mm. the difference between a high resolution mp3 and a wav is not going to be apparent to me it's not a huge difference if I'm just wandering about and someone says hey that thing you just listened to was it an mp3 I won't know no and as you say like 80-ish percent of the data has been taken out <laughs> but they just know which the bits that aren't important are they're not paying attention to that bit we'll chuck it away 
way. Video encoding works a similar <laughs> way. That anything that's dark or in the backgrounds or on the sides is assumed to be very unimportant, especially if there's something brightened in the center. Yes. Everything else can go hang. Yeah. And since I've been told that, just kind of looking at TV and, and even some movies. You find yourself looking at the bits you're not supposed to look at? Yeah, and it's like, gosh, there's nothing there. <laughs> They've just put brown splodges on the screen. I thought it was a forest, but it's all brown splodges. Very, very clever, all that. I've got us terribly off track. Uh, where have we got to? Oh, we're talking about MP3s. Oh, yeah, I've just imported all my um, mixed review MP3s into my DAW. Yeah. This month, then, I figured that I had better review a, uh, a recent track called Montero. Okay. I- I'd not heard it, but it had been blowing up the charts, mm-hmm. number one all over the place. So I downloaded it as part of this month's batch, made a note, okay, right, I've definitely got to critique this one. Too huge to ignore. Yeah. So I loaded it up, and to be honest, I really wasn't that inspired. <laughs> you know, it was a fairly vanilla-like house trance track of about five minutes in length. It just felt there wasn't much exciting going on, but I thought, you know, okay, yeah, these kinds of things sometimes come out in the summer. There's some kind of tune that is the tune of the summer, and it goes through all the clubs, and I just couldn't really find much to say about it. And I thought, crumbs, I've got to write something. You see, this is one of the trials of mixed review. <laughs> <laughs> right, yeah, when there's nothing to say, what do you say? But it's a popular track, and you go, oh, crumbs, I've got to say something about it. Yeah. So I spent a few hours kind of scratching my head, eventually kind of came up with the idea, oh, well, there's some kind of, uh, like, slow pitch rises and pitch falls going throughout the arrangement, and, and that slowly kind of builds up throughout the thing, and so I meticulously documented when they happened and how they overlapped and whatever, yeah. wrote about, like, 500 words or something about how they created this kind of progressive build-up through the track, and I thought, well, yeah, yeah okay, I found something of a redeeming quality to it. <laughs> And eventually ended up with this mixed review article. Fantastic. It still sounds like a job well done, Mike. Well, yeah. I mean, I was thinking, you know, it's not exactly dodged a bullet, but it's like, yeah, this is the hard bit of mixed review. Occasionally you get a track that you have to grind through. Yep. It's been 10 years. I'm used to doing it. Yep. So then my process is, once I've written all the other reviews, which I did, hmm. I then go back and I've got to get it ready to upload and format and all that kind of stuff. And so I have to hunt for the cover artwork mm-hmm. and for the links and everything that go with it to Wikipedia and to YouTube and all this kind of stuff. So it's all there with the article. Okay. And I couldn't find cover art for Montero. <laughs> And then I looked it up, and I couldn't find a Wikipedia page for it either. Okay, this very popular (laughs) summer anthem. It's kind of surprising. And this was because in iTunes, I searched for a track called Montero. And instead of Lil Nas X's recent global chart topper... (laughs) Oh, my word. I accidentally downloaded (laughs) Derek West and Midnight Beats 2016 compilation filler track, Montero. (laughs) In fact, Derek West is so obscure. It's not only that he has no Wikipedia page, he's not even listed on the Derek West disambiguation page on Wikipedia. (laughs) And he managed to get a mixed review written by Mike Senior. That, hey, whatever he did, that's the secret of cracking the music industry right there. I don't care what anyone tells you. And the really galling thing about it is I thought, well, you know, I've said some interesting things about this track. I mean, maybe I should just publish it anyway. Yes, I think so. But the thing is, that actually, why should anyone care? <laughs> so it's like, no, it's just really lame. I can't really... Okay, okay. Let me offer a counterpoint, though, because it's occasionally nice to see a world-class violinist play a $100 Chinese violin. Mm. That has its appeal. Okay. And equally... 
you know, you're only, as you say, you're drawing from the top of the charts or, or stuff that is otherwise exceptional and made its way onto mm. your radar um, or kind of you sort it out. Mm. And so it, it's easy to kind of lose sight of all the things that maybe you take for granted. Mm. You know, all the things that are either done well or done badly, but you've heard it so many times that you've kind of, you've lost any faith that it could be done differently. And so <laughs> I would say, mm. I imagine you'd be much more on board with this if you'd done it on purpose. <laughs> if the idea would come to you of like, yes. I'm going to find just a track that someone's got on iTunes, mm. but it hasn't really gone any further than that. So if I hadn't advertised this mistake widely on a public podcast, maybe I could have got away with it. <laughs> on a fairly popular podcast. Yeah, then maybe maybe you could have swung by that. Oh, dear. Unfortunately, we don't have many mistakes that you've made, so we're going to have to use this one. <laughs> the most delicious irony, Mike, the most mwah, piquant bit of irony in there yes. is that you listen to this track how many times on a DAW, kind of really inspecting the waveform. <laughs> If you'd been lazier and just listened to it on iTunes, you'd have had the artist's name scrolling past you yeah. once every five seconds for the entire listen time. And you would have realised... No, the, the difficulty was that I left that three days between looking at the charts and realising it was a Lil Nas X track and then coming back to it and going, OK, we've got this Derek and Midnight Beats and just thinking, oh, there are often EDM tracks in the charts that are by... Monkey Nuts and, and Wizzo. Oh, right. Oh. You know. Okay, yeah. That's probably a real duo. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> hey, patent pending, all right? We've got, that's us. Yes. That's our new Daft Punk mm -hmm. cover band or something. Mm. Yeah, okay, fair enough. Now, here's my other question. Have you since then gone back to the Lil Nas X track yes. and had a listen? What do you think of that one? It's okay. I found some things to say about it much more easily than I did with... <laughs> Derek West and Midnight Beats. I think you've got to do a head-to-head, -head, Mike. It's not that you don't talk about Lil Nas's work. You just compare and contrast their responses to the stimuli of that one title. What's particularly galling about it is that I didn't review by mistake a track where there was loads to talk about. It was one that was like pulling teeth to find anything worthwhile to say about it. I mean, you'd like to say maybe that would have been a pre-indication that it wasn't a really commercially successful release, but there have been plenty of commercial releases that I've thought were rubbish too. <laughs> I mean, I mean, let's not forget um, Rain On Me. Oh, yes. Two brilliant artists making thoroughly mediocre music. Yes. Which won all sorts of awards and broke all sorts of records and was the most played club track in whatever. And or Without You by Kid Leroy <laughs> that I've hated more than anything else I've done for Mixed Review, ever. But other people disagreed. In fact, I had to do a follow-up Mixed Review to that. Really? Because he did a remix featuring Miley Cyrus and actually managed to make the worst track I've heard in 10 years oh. even worse. Oh, my word. I mean, it's kind of an anti-Midas effect. <laughs> <laughs> no, Midas, stop it's touching It's already it. turned to sh**. Can you stop needing it? It's just... <laughs> you know, at this stage, you're just rubbing it into the carpet. It's unnecessary. <laughs> what are you going to do? What, what's the change to your workflow now? Okay, yeah, it's important to learn a lesson from these things, but I think my workflow, my processes can't be too bad if that's the first time I've done it in 10 years. You know what? That's true. Taken as a percentage See, of... My percentages are pretty good. Yeah. And yeah. so maybe I can rest on my laurels now, knowing that I've made that mistake now. <laughs> <laughs> that sounds safe. I've ticked that box. That sounds immense. Mentally safe. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I'd, that I'd say so. Mean. 
so we could banter back and forth until the cows come home, but it's kind of just two golden geese sharing their golden eggs round in circles. And what sort of benefactors to the human race would we be if we didn't occasionally reach down and share some of that wisdom mm. with you? So um, I'm going I'm to reach here into the bulging mailbag, <laughs> tearing at the seams it is, and see what I can pull out. <clears throat> okay, we have this here from Esme Hendel in Berkshire. Hello, Esme. Thank you for writing in. Mm. Esme asks... Dear Master Breakers, what is a piece of studio kit that you deeply love slash desperately want, which, in your deepest heart of hearts, you'd have to acknowledge is pretty useless in terms of music <laughs> making? See, wow. I've got a few. Oh, God. I mean, is there anyone who doesn't have a, a list as long as their arm, really? My first one is thick scaffolding pipes making a sort of tiered rack yeah. upon which there's eight or nine vintage hardware synths. They're oh, right. muted black and Ooh. lacquer wood. Retro primary colour schemes. Bright red green patch cables sort of flowing like a mm. like a root network. Chocolate brown upholstery. Oh gosh, it's everywhere. <laughs> and then, you know, they kind of go or or you know, whatever. And some of them are moogs and some of them are corgs and And they're all obscenely collectible and Oh, serial number 001. My goodness, yes. Mm. To a fault. I have a hunch, a suspicion mm. that no one needs that. Yeah, that <laughs> Niels Fram, who invented that, mm. doesn't need that. Well, I've got a good example. Okay, hit me. A friend of mine works as one of the computer architects and technicians at Hans Zimmer's studio. And I don't know if you've ever seen his room, but that is a room, if you've ever seen a picture of it, that looks like Sherlock Holmes's private library. <laughs> you know what I'm talking about. I do, I do. And yet, set into the walls in alcoves are all these literally exactly the synths we're talking about, these ridiculous one-of-a-kind modulars and or whatever. Oh, They're all around the place. I'm looking at a picture now. My God. This is as luxuriant as it gets. And to hear this friend of mine tell it, he hardly ever uses them. <laughs> <laughs> right. And why would you? Because I'm looking at this now, and he, I mean, he's got a grand piano in there as well, and just, yeah. just so much, so much beautiful stuff. Oh, yeah. And then right in the center, he's got an office chair, mm. three monitors, and an 88 key MIDI controller keyboard. Yes. Now, when you've got those things... And also, the most advanced samples on the planet. I don't imagine that every computer I've ever owned could model his pedal creak on <laughs> one of his piano sample libraries. Like, yes. not a chance. I mean, as I understand it, yeah. and maybe this used to be the case or, or isn't the case, or maybe I've just synthesised this myself, but as I understand it, if you walk into their machine room, mm. there are these racks of servers... And you look at one of them and it's got a bit of masking tape or a label on it. I assume not masking tape. <laughs> <laughs> it's got a label on it saying, Violin 1, Pizzicato. Oh, wow. And the next server says, Arco. <laughs> That's... <laughs> yes. My heart is warmed by the fact that Hans Zimmer needs more servers than I can afford to get real life sounds because that's what I play for. That's what I use my hands for. Yes. That and, you know, eating little chocolates when I get bored. <laughs> but see, I, I, I get that analog synthesis is quote unquote different. 
But like, is it though? Yeah. Like, to what extent is it? And I don't begrudge anyone nice things. I'm wearing a purple skirt at the moment, which I adore. Yes. But just before we recorded, I was playing badminton with my mum. It wasn't a practical choice, but I wore it. <laughs> it's nice. I like how it looks. Yeah. And you would too if, you know, the webcam could see it. Mm. I don't begrudge people nice things, but it's not an efficient way to get those sounds recorded. Like you said with MP3 earlier, mm. the public, if you said, oh, well, you realise that's actually a virtual Moog, not a real one, they wouldn't go, <gasps> that's why it sounds rubbish. Well, you know what? In Berlin, a large swathe of the public would. <laughs> but if you didn't tell them... They'd suck their teeth and go, yeah, those transistors really make the difference. Yeah, no, completely. Yeah. So I know that what I'm saying is, is really sacrilegious to, you know, modular synthesis people who are like, no, it's all voltage, so it's very different from anything you could model on a computer because apparently computers don't use voltage. Mm. I'm not convinced. But you'd still like them there if you could, just to feel them there next to you, thrumming. I would, but I'd be really curious on, <laughs> on your thoughts. Okay, do you reckon you'd be able to tell the difference or that you'd just prefer one over the other mm. of modelled Moog or just like a really nicely maintained analogue Moog? In practical terms, I don't think it'll make any difference. It's so nice to have that from you because I feel like I've been standing in the wilderness. It's the same argument I have with like modelled Pultex or whatever. Right. Honestly, I just listen to what comes out at the end and if I like it, I stick with it. Yeah. And it might sound different than the model one and yeah, it's possible I might be able to get a slightly nicer sound with something but then when it's a difference of two grand, I was like, well, no, I can spend two grand to get better sounds in better ways. <laughs> How about you, Mike? What's a piece of kit that you lust after or have and treasure that, if we're being honest... Well, I mean, I think have and treasure is less the case because most of my stuff is pretty pragmatic. Mm. And in fact, this is part of the difficulty with this whole thing because... Now, how's that? You know, the one thing that, if I think about it, I would spend money on out of choice in some respects, and could spend some money on probably at this point, is some really nice microphones. <laughs> and it would make my life easier if I bought them. Because recording with really nice microphones is a lot easier than recording with even mid-range microphones. Interesting. I mean, I must have told that story about that, that session I did in Russia where this Abbey Road engineer came in and basically placed all the mics by eye and it sounded fine. And you could never do that with budget mics. You'd have to move each one of them about three or four times before you get a good sound out of them. Hmm... They're just so, so much more forgiving. Great mics. And people don't believe it, but they really are. Okay. Particularly with ensemble miking. But the thing is, yeah. I would love to have them if I'm just me wanting to record something as nicely and quickly and easily as possible. But my whole kind of career in some respects is built about showing people how to get good results with stuff that isn't like that. <laughs> and so really anything that I did like that would be no use. Because honestly, it's so much easier to record in a beautifully treated room with wonderful microphones. Hmm. Any numpty can record something that sounds quite good in that situation. <gasps> oh, what, a, what an interesting dilemma. Because it's such a perfectly philosophical conundrum that you have here. Mm. Having spent the, the, this time and attention figuring out how to do things so well with mid-range mics, you're in a position to invest mm. in some higher range ones. Yeah. But if you invested in them, you would lose the very thing you sought to create. Yeah. I think it's its own myth. I think it's this new you fantastic the myth of michael so okay here's another one of mine okay and this one this is a patch bay oh oh right i'll start by saying now here i think there really could be some utility i mean everyone could probably use at least one rack of patch bay somehow yeah right and a patch bay for anyone who like me has never actually owned one it's just a way to send audio back and forth without having wires trailing all over the place. so you Yeah, can... I mean, the big thing for me is it's a way to re-plug something into something else without having to crawl under your desk. Yeah. 
<laughs> That's the big thing. And it, it makes it really easy to pass audio through external modules and external reverb and external compressor. It's part of a dream. It's like if I have a patch bay, that's part of the dream of having loads of modules that I can send things through and having this new life where... Completely. Yeah. It's a gateway drug. Surely that will <laughs> fix this slightly tired derivative chorus. <laughs> if I just sent it through an expensive compressor, which, and this is true, this is one that was doing the rounds in Berlin a while ago. It had a, um, a gauge which was genuinely from a U-boat, from a Second World War German submarine. Yes! Did you come across this? I remember that one! A mutual friend of ours was offered one. Oh, wow. Um, <laughs> and, and turned it down just because it would have cost some obscene amount of money. Oh, God, yeah. Yeah. Well, I've got another one then. <laughs> okay, you go. Now, this is probably the most serious one. Again, because I am this project studio person. Mm. Everything I do is what I write about. Mm. And so... I kind of live in exactly the same situation that I'm helping people to deal with. And so my studio looks like a project studio. Of course. You know, I've got a desk that's really quite basic and it's kind of cheap laminate. And, you know, all my acoustic treatment is hanging around on hooks. And I've done a little bit of fitting of stuff in where I am at the moment. But A hymn to resourcefulness. You know, I've got like crates and stuff lying about. It's all a bit kind of industrial come completely bodged together. <laughs> and it completely works. But it looks... A bit Heath Robinson. <laughs> and, you know, the thing I think is like, oh, wouldn't it be nice if it just looked really kind of beautifully modelled and interior designed and all the lights were in the right place? And, mm. you know, it functions like a proper studio, but it doesn't look like a proper studio. And if I had, mm. you know, one of those proper moulded desks with all those things carefully, it's all built in and <gasps> oh. all the cables are tucked away somewhere. And oh. it would be lovely to do that. But I just think, oh, it wouldn't make any difference. It really wouldn't make any difference to how good the results I can make are. Oh. Tragic, isn't it? But, oh, wouldn't it look nice? You'd want to show someone down into your studio then rather than going, <laughs> oh, well, I've got my studio here. It, it does work, honest. <laughs> <laughs> Now that summer is here, there are some who heretically suggest that given the hot, humid <laughs> weather, that we should move at breakfast time away from traditional treats towards your mueslis, your cold cuts, your yogurts. Disgusting. And we at Project Studio 2 Break are going to push back against such nonsense and present you with the sound of the kind of breakfast material that you should be ingesting. The only breakfast that any halfway decent bit of production has ever been done on. It's time for a hearty slice of toast. <laughs> Yeah, that has grain to it. I sense nuts and seeds. It does. It has some seeds in there. Mm. So this was not, in fact, toast, but as I'm sure you've <laughs> guessed at home, this is the sound of a cork being rubbed against the skin of a hand-carved Komodo dragon. <laughs> um, a relatively small one for ease of bringing it close to the microphone. No, you're going to tell me you carved that yourself. <laughs> you know what? I probably will tell someone that quite soon. It's not true, <laughs> but, but this has never stopped me in the past. Has a very natty bandana on, I notice. It is a bit, isn't it? I think I think my niece is responsible for that. Well, do you think that's a napkin? It's just finished feasting on some poor unfortunate. I think it's a zhuzhi bow for all occasions. <laughs> and I think that um, mm. this Komodo dragon is absolutely living its truth. I am so excited for this month's jam. Excellent. I'm going to tell you why. Because in an intersection moment, I was saying to Mike, gosh, I'm going to be thinking all month about that zebra finch research. It's so fascinating. And he said, I don't think you are. <laughs> And I said, oh, oh no, oh, what, why is that? He said, 
because of the jam this month. <laughs> I hope that's not putting too much pressure, Mike, but that is the excitement I'm coming into this with. <laughs> now, in many ways, John, our careers and interests diverge. Mm. But there are areas that we can both bring a wealth of experience and knowledge to. Oh, there are. There's a few, aren't there? Yeah. And one of them is choirs. <gasps> oh, yes. You see, as I understand it, you are professionally involved in choir direction. Yes, absolutely. No, we have um, we have Witten Choirs, which runs community and corporate choirs in, in Berlin and around the UK. Mm. Honestly, it's been one of the most rewarding things I've ever worked on in my entire life. Yeah. Because you read, and I'm sure you've read this stuff about how singing choir makes you feel better and makes you energised and helps you connect with people. Yeah. But it's like seeing it week after... Oh, God, yeah. I cannot wait for stuff to reopen and Witten Choirs to ride again. Yeah. It'll, it'll come. It'll come. I was in choirs as a choir boy and I've been involved in a cappella and choir music ever since. I'm still involved with choirs here in, in Munich. Mm. And in this respect, I think you will get this month's jam more than most people might. Oh. And I want to explain why this is the case. Mm. You see, I think we can both agree, as much as we find great joy in choirs and choir direction and choir performance and rehearsal... Mm. Pretty much every choir always seems to have some weak point, some weakness. That seems fair, yeah. I mean, obviously, there's the obvious things. You know, there are choirs who can't sing in time or can't sing in tune or just mm. don't listen to each other. So the blend's all over the place or they're, they're kind of flamming with each other the whole time. Mm. But even putting aside the rank amateurs, if you even go to the, like, the good amateur choirs or the professional choirs, you know, there are plenty of classical choirs who can perform the most complicated avant-garde work, mm. but they have not an ounce of soul between them. Right. No, I, I think that's absolutely true. You know, you said, oh, we're going to do this Jamaican reggae number now, and they'd kind of... Um, <laughs> It would come out sounding like something that Bach did in an off day when he was drunk. God, if anyone suggested an English classical choir do a Jamaican reggae tune, I think I would set fire to the church before anyone <laughs> had a chance to. But yes, should I not be there and able to prevent the atrocity, yes. an atrocity it would certainly be. But by the same token, I mean, I've done a lot of work with jazz choirs and mm. they may have all the feel and enthusiasm and groove in the world, mm. but they might really struggle to do anything that requires like complicated beat divisions or difficult lines or harmonies or whatever yeah just trying to learn it and i mean there are choirs as well that can do certain sounds but you ask them to sound different you ask them to sound a bit more forward or a bit breathier and they just don't have the tonal range see for me that's a huge one my favorite choir in the world is king's college chapel choir i think right they are unrivaled and they are some Blime, you know, lots of positive adjectives. Mm, mm. But I have to concede that they don't have infinite tonal range. <laughs> no. You know, they have their sound. Yes, and a beautiful, wonderful sound it is. Rich, dark, mwah. Yes. But, you know, that's what they do. <laughs> you have to enter within their parameter range to appreciate the way they use those parameters. Yes. And just ignore all the other parameters that could be there. So true. There are also, I'm sure you've had choirs where most of these singers are, are really timid. They kind of don't want to be heard in some respects. They're always waiting for someone to lead. Yes, yeah, someone else to start. <laughs> and by the same token, choirs that have no decent soloists for when you need the odd soloist. The body is all there behind them, but the soloist can't quite break through. And also, choirs that just refuse to sing from memory. Personal pet peeve. It's just so much nicer to hear it off book. For one thing, they're looking at the conductor. Yes. And if that 
doesn't make them sound better, they need a new conductor. Yes. <laughs> but also, I mean, you just, the brain space of reading, mm-hmm. it just takes some brain effort away and, you, and you're not actually engaging with the performance and with looking at everyone else. Yes. Every time you're looking at the page, you're not looking and listening to someone else. Yeah, I, I think that's absolutely true. I have a real problem with it. I think fundamentally, to be a professional choir, you should be singing from memory, in my opinion. We can be crotchety about that together. Well, okay. What if there were a choir that had everything? Mm. You know, they had flawless tuning and timing. They had incredible ensemble cohesion and blend. They had the ability to perform incredibly complicated, almost avant-garde harmonies and things, entirely from memory. And yet they have total soul attitude groove incredible soloists, unbelievable, almost mind-bending tonal range, and absolutely no fear. So the very first thing, the zero thing that came to mind as you were saying that, Mm. was that I used to work at a restaurant, I used to work in the kitchen of a restaurant, the menu of which was more than 500 items long. (laughs) Wow. It was true. We could serve up 500 distinct meals, and we did none of them well. Yes. And what you're describing here, you know, a choir that... Yeah, we can do jazz, we can do classical, we can do avant-garde, we can do rock. Like, can you do any of them well? That's my suspicion when I hear that. I mean, the thing about it to me is not whether they can do different styles. I'm just thinking about whether they are an instrument that has all these things. And I've just forwarded you a link. Because I would like to welcome you into the world of the Bulgarian State Television Female Choir. Pardon me a moment. Now, I've prepared you a playlist because I was unable to properly do justice to this choir in less than four tracks and nine minutes in length. So I've prepared you a playlist, and let's reconvene in ten minutes. Gorgeous. Good man. Okay, so we're back. What zebra finches? <laughs> it worked. Oh, Mike. <laughs> Welcome to life after discovering the Bulgarian state television female choir. Oh, Mike. The power. The the effortless groove. The- it's rare even to find one female singer who's willing to give it that much welly some of the time. That much oomph, but like oomph with control. And a whole room full of them. That melismatic nonsense. I oh, good, yeah. Nonsense just in the, the extreme difficulty. And, you know, to sing that as one person is hard. To sing that as a group of people who all have to hit these wobbly bits at the same time with such beautiful clarity. And in that second track, the reason I put it in is there's a bit where they start doing this thing and it speeds up and they're doing really, really quickly and then it all slows down again and they're all perfectly together. Oh. I mean, I categorise some listening experiences in terms of the number of times I find myself swearing aloud <laughs> and I just ran out of fingers. Literally, I have the hairs on my arms and legs standing up on end. It's incredible stuff. And the, it's one of those listening experiences that for me is a little bit bittersweet because it's that crushing realisation that probably I will never be part of a choir as good as that. or oh. And that once you've heard it, you're almost broken a little bit. Because it's like any other choir, you're constantly thinking all the stuff they're not doing. You know, we've both been listening to choirs pretty much our whole lives. If there were a bunch of choirs of this type, this level, this stripe, this power, 
we'd have heard them by now. This is a truly rare thing. And I think that that for me is where the bittersweetness comes from. I know that I'm not going to stumble on another one of these tomorrow. Uh, the other thing that really gets me about this is all the musical influences coming in because it's got that kind of poulonk twisty dissonance yeah and then other bits are folk music and other bits are like middle eastern music and mm. there's so much coming into it and they're just they show such mastery of all these different threads that are coming together i would love to know the, the derivation of this music how much of it is a folk art how much of it i mean i think they are a rehearsed ensemble i i have to imagine so and yet they bring this rootsy quality that you can't get except by being the real deal yeah oh that that is just incredible that's my evening is what that is <laughs> yeah and there's plenty of it i mean the thing is i had to listen to these things multiple times to narrow it down to a short list of four different tracks just to feel that i was giving some idea of their range mm. but there's so many more like there's bits where they're being accompanied by a group and that are just brilliant as well. There's bits that sound almost verging on bluegrass. It's, <laughs> it's just, you, you suddenly are assaulted by all the things that most choirs are not even touching. And they're just doing them effortlessly and acing all the stuff that all traditional choirs also think they're great by doing. I'm a nitpicker by trade, profession and temperament. But there's just nothing here to nitpick. No, no. There is, however... Oh, oh. Oh. One distressing possibility about this. Yeah. And the distressing possibility is that <laughs> part of the reason that this is so peerlessly brilliant is because there aren't any men involved. <laughs> <laughs> and I think we have to take that on the chin. Okay, honestly, I, I didn't notice that it wasn't a mixed choir. And, I mean... What would male voices even do there? Well, yeah. There's no gaps for them. But you've got to ask yourself the question, all those choirs that are mixed choirs and aren't as good as this. <laughs> there is one factor that is different. <laughs> yeah, I, I'm in a bit of a daze, Mike. I, I genuinely am. I haven't heard... I haven't had a choir surprise me like that for a very long time. I was equally shocked... I mean, God, I've been singing in choirs for 35 years on a professional level. Mm. <laughs> and you'd think by that point, having studied music and listened as widely as I have and all these things, mm. that somehow I would have come across a fraction of that somewhere. I would have gone, oh, that sounds a bit like this other choir. And no. Absolutely not. <laughs> it's like a bolt from the blue. Yeah. So I'm a, I'm a huge circus fan. I love me circus. Yeah. And there's nothing more boring in all of the world than your third circus show. Mm. Because that's when you start to realise that each of these, especially prop works, so if someone's doing the Chinese pole or the Vesuvian ring mm. or hand balancing or whatever, these things have been around for hundreds of years mm. and they have crystallised to four or five really cool tricks, which are incredibly hard and impressive. But once you've seen them, you've seen them. Yeah. And you get comfortable kind of eking out the crumbs of difference, the crumbs of inspiration. Yeah. And then occasionally, and I do mean... You've got to hunt this stuff out and you've got to be skillful as well as lucky. You see someone just break it all apart. Mm. You see someone throw caution to the winds and go for it and, and create something brand new. Mm. And that's exactly how I feel here. And it's kind of humbling as well because it reminds you how many things you haven't even conceived of yeah. in something as familiar in our case as the choral tradition and singing in general. I mean, mm. you know, I'm used to doing like modern a cappella as well. It's not like I've only sung in church choirs. I've done a whole <laughs> range of stuff. Yeah. And suddenly you get something, you go, these are just expressive possibilities that I've not even thought existed. Not even conceived of. 
Gosh darn it, that's really cool. <laughs> well, for all you listeners out there who are wondering what we're raving about, I will put a link to that playlist in the show notes. Go listen. And be amazed. But but listen to our outro first. We're going to make it really good. <laughs> <laughs> and you'll get to know what our email is and stuff. It'll be really fun, I promise. It's going to be awesome. Yeah, it'll be great. Okay. <laughs> Shall we go do that now before they open Spotify? Let's. Quick, okay. quick. Okay, we made it. <laughs> we made it to the outro. Well, we've really got to stop using separate mics in different rooms for each of the sections. Mm, mm. But here we are. Project Studio Tea Break is proud, delighted, honoured this month to be sponsored by the mobile application Sensation, which has been getting people up and about in this sedentary time. Mm. Uh, everyone and their mum is playing it. Everyone and their nan is playing it. We're talking, of course, about Poker Bongo. <laughs> yeah. Yes. In, in case you've been living under a kind of well-insulated rock, this is that... Where have they been? Where are, it's a very good question. Mm. Where you go out into the world and catch virtual bongos, <laughs> which you can then poke. And uh, I'm seeing here on the press release that uh, the, the developers of Poker Bongo um, were so happy with the title, they haven't mm. really developed the idea very much past here. Yeah. But they, they do underline they're very, very happy with that title. Can we expect maybe Poker Kong? in the future. <laughs> it, it may well be coming. Um, equally, and edit out the pause here where I have to think for a solid 20 seconds <laughs> for, for, for another one. Okay. Poker gong low? Poker gong comma space low. <laughs> <laughs> Brackets low. Okay. That's the best of the bunch. You know, it says maybe more about the bunch than the best. Yeah, yeah. But, but that one's certainly, um, yeah, commendable. Oh, now I've got to come up with something. The gauntlet has been thrown down. I'm going through, like, German folk instruments in my head now. That's how, how desperate I've become. <laughs> Isn't there some Mexican in instrument, like a charango or something? There is, there is. Uh, it is Brazilian, I think. Um, poca charango. Po charango. Po charango, actually. Is very good. There we go, we deliver. Where poems of Edgar Allan Poe are set to the <laughs> chirpy strumming rhythms of a charango. Yes. If you can think of better puns than this, not likely. Pretty unlikely, to be honest. Um, you can always let us know. You can let us know on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash PSTB books and on twitter.com forward slash PSTB tweets. Where else? Well, you can get us on email at tbreak at projectstudioteabreak.com. And if you would like to support this proudly independent podcast yourself, mm -hmm. Then do please head over to our Patreon page, patreon.com slash projectstudioteabreak, where, as of this month, I have now begun posting new extras twice a week, not just Ooh, once a week. Very, very nice. Just in the past month. We've had two bonus news items. We've had Ratatouille the musical. We've had the Boss Metal Zone vaccine. <laughs> and we've had further coverage of Wikipedia horror fans, Vangelis and a solo button, a research copy of Mr. Tickle, and news of a fresh feud between John and I over ABBA. Oh, it's so nice going back through them. So there is now more than 12 hours of bonus content on the Patreon page. Oh, my word. And we would appreciate it a great deal. I mean, how much would you appreciate it, John? This 
much. It's at least as big as the width of the Skype screen. That's how much we would appreciate it if you support us in this way. We would. And, you know, this support is what allows us to be such authoritative fact checkers and bring you hard-hitting truths like the Tarango is actually Bolivian. Sorry about that. And speak truth to Marcus Bueller. <laughs> <laughs> Even when Marcus Bueller isn't listening. Yes. <laughs> Do you have anything to plug this month, John? Um, come by Covent Garden in London, if you're, if you're in the UK. Uh, on the 9th, the 10th and the 11th, I'm going to be doing uh, some pop-up formats with the wonderful Little Bulb Theatre Company uh, and the Royal Opera House. Oh, wow. Uh, we've got some, some stuff going on there. On the 9th, 10th and 11th of September. Yes, please. Do come by. We'll be there all day. You know what? I'm actually due to be visiting the UK. <gasps> no way! So I'm totally coming to see that. Hey, so this shout-out has reached at least one person. Totally. We can have a live meet-up. Anyone who's planning <laughs> to attend. Oh, my. Let us know. We can have a live meet-up. Oh, my goodness. This is going to... I'm going to be taken totally out of character. I'm going to have no interest <laughs> at all in this performance. I just want to be at the Project Studio Tea Break meet-up. Mm -hmm. We'll bring biscuits. Indeed. <laughs> Gorgeous. How about you, Mike? Anything to plug this time around? Yes, I have a free special Q&A podcast with uh, world-renowned mastering engineer Ian Shepard. Ooh. I'm asking him lots and lots of questions that people have asked him, getting really nerdy and in the weeds about mastering stuff. <gasps> so that should be coming up free on the Cambridge Empty site in the next few days. So if you head over to the Multitrack Library or anywhere, you'll find it. You mean he does stuff besides bantering good-naturedly with us on Twitter? <laughs> yes. Where does he find the time? That, that takes it out of me each month. <laughs> I've, got, I've got nothing left. Well, in which case, we need to rest ourselves. And we <laughs> We will see you all next month, dear listeners. Ta-ra! Ta-ra, pets!